Hi, Sarah. And congratulations on another fantastic book. And it's great that we're talking to you on Out in South London because, of course, this book, The Paying Guests, is very much imbued with a sense of South London. (laughs) It is, isn't it? It really is. And, of course, in it, the main character, Frances Ray, and her mother, they live in a villa in Camberwell. And they take in, well, after during the First World War, their menfolk have, have died. They take in two paying guests, Mr and Mrs Barber, who've come just down the road from Peckham Rye, somewhere I lived for many years. And as a sort of a reader and a South London dweller, it's really fun to look at the sort of historical settings that I know so well, places like Ruskin Park and things. And is it fun, as someone who lives in South London, to sort of research the history of an area you know well as well? Oh, yeah, very much. And also, you know, I've got a natural interest in London's history. So yes, I like, absolutely. you know, wandering around. I've been doing that in London for a long time. And I've, I've lived in South London now in a couple of different places since 2000. So I've had, you know, kind of 12 years of kind of getting to know the area. And for me, that, that does mean sort of thinking about the history of the areas I'm looking at. But for this book in particular, it was a great treat yeah. to be looking at old images of the Walworth Road, for example, oh, yes. and the Elephant and Castle. Mm. Uh, the Lambeth Police Court makes an appearance, which is now the yeah. Jamyang Buddhist Centre on Renfrew Road in oh, Kennington, which right. is still a delightful little building. Um, so, yeah, it was finding, you know, those those little details and buildings that you might overlook if you're just sort of hurrying past them yeah. and really thinking about what role they played in people's lives in the yes yeah interesting and i mean some places you you feel maybe haven't changed that much i mean when you're describing ruskin park sort of with the tennis courts and the ruined archway and mm-hmm. and the slightly dirty pond you know <laughs> thinking actually it's it's a bit like that you know the bandstand as well, well it's the very, only thing i thought well you know the, the sort of tennis outfit had probably changed probably a lot changed a lot <laughs> women's outfits in particular were, yeah. were still pretty long long skirts weren't they but you know ruskin park is a very homely park and I think it yeah. probably was even then. I mean the big difference would have been it was quite a new park, you know, this the novel set in nineteen twenty two and it, it was is, yes. it had only the park had only been around for um, sort of fifteen years or so. Ah. So the trees would have been a lot smaller and things like that, some of them. But it's um, it's a park I've always liked, so it was nice to be able to... I mean, actually, lots of key things about the romance in the novel, the love story between Francis and Lillian, lots of their key moments take place in Ruskin Park. Yes, so. well, uh, early on, a picnic. Mm. Um, yes, absolutely. And, yeah, I mean, you sort of are known for doing a great amount of, of research for all of all of your books. How does that process sort of begin? I mean, I think you list a lot of books from the time that you actually looked at. Yeah, that's always a great resource for me. I mean, obviously, mm. it's helpful to read books about a period. I read some really useful books about the 20s, about the post-war world, you know, about the sort of issues and preoccupations of the period. But for me, the the most useful thing is to go back to the period and look at, say, newspapers. That was a great yeah. resource. So I looked at the you know, national papers like The Times, which were fabulous for giving me all sorts of insight just into mm. the big stories of the day, but also the sort of smaller things that people were talking about, things that people were wearing, what they were eating. I looked at some local papers too, you know, some Camberwell papers, oh, the South yes. London Press and things like that, How which was brilliant. How long has South London Press been oh, going A long time, long I time. think, since the 19th century. Mm. Um, and it uh, that's brilliant for for sort of domestic details yeah. and, and for funny crimes that have been committed oh, and things yes. like that. You yes, know. of course. So and photographs and uh, maps. We've got an absolutely brilliant local history library in, in Southwark, just around the corner from here, uh, which is one of the best local studies libraries I think I know. And it's just 
a great resource. They've got wonderful images of the streets of the area. Yeah. Um, Large-scale maps were very useful to me. Quite nerdy stuff. You know, being yes, a historical novelist, yeah. I think it helps if you're a bit of a nerd like me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it is all those little details that seem to ring true. I mean, I'm sure some things may even be made up. I sort of love the touch of um, Francis going to eat at the National Gallery in the Tate and sometimes ordering a pot, pot of tea and saying she sneaks out of a homemade <laughs> bun. You know. That's something I've done many times <laughs> yes, in a well, spinsterish kind of way. Perhaps you can still get away with that so, now. I think you can just about get away with that, I'm sure. You know, I mean, it was great thinking about that era and there were lots of sh- shabby genteel people around who were cutting corners and having to make ends meet and I'm sure yes. sneaking out their own buns in tea shops was, <laughs> was something that ladies, you know, the spinsters did all had the time. To, had to do, mm. absolutely. Well, talking of women at the time, what do you feel was sort of their kind of role and their sense of themselves at, at that time? Because that very much sort of plays into the feeling of the book doesn't it yeah it was a fascinating time for women you know they'd mm. they'd been the sort of the suffrage movement before the war had, had begun to galvanize yeah. in a big yes, way you know, politics for women and then the war had sort of put suffrage on hold for some women mm. but in, in itself it had opened up so many new opportunities for women especially yeah. working women actually Did, lots of whom came out of domestic service for example and got, you know, better paid jobs or something. Yeah. I mean, they did tend to go back into domestic service afterwards, but... There was they, almost a sense that it, things went backwards at a, a wee little bit, bit But I, I think, you know, for example, women going back into domestic service, they did it much more on their own terms. They didn't yeah. live in anymore and you yeah. know, they had a bit more independence. And all sorts of things changed for women. I mean, clothes, you know, if you look mm. at the changes between, say, 1912 and 1922, the clothes changed unbelievably. The court, you know, the, the, the corsets went, the, you know, the nipped-in waists, the mm. big legament sleeves, the big hats, the big hairdos, the long skirts, the heaviness of the clothes was, mm. was transformed into those much more fluid lines of, of the 20s stuff that we're very familiar with. You know, yes. Images of flappers and things. Hair got shorter. Oh, yes. Heels yes. got a bit higher. Yes. So, you know, there was a general loosening up of life for women, I think. Mm. Um, there was also, of course, the issue of a lost generation of, of men in the war, which meant, Absolutely. especially of upper-middle-class men, the officer yes. class basically suffered mm. disproportionately, right. even though far more of servicemen had been from the working classes. You know, for upper-middle-class women, there was a bit of a shortage of men, which, mm. you know, is, was hard on straight women. Of course, it's a bit different when you're talking about lesbian women. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you yes. know, so my character... Well, likes- was it... Maybe a good thing for, <laughs> for lesbians in that there were some surplus. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that didn't do any harm to <laughs> to the scene, maybe. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah, so it was it was an interesting time. It was also a time, of course, in which unmarried daughters were expected to stay home and look after the family. I think it was sort mm. of the last, you know, the end of that kind of long Victorian tradition. So Frances in The Paying Guest, when we first meet her, she's very much stuck in that position. Yes, looking you know, after looking her mother, after isn't her she? Who, after the loss of her brothers. Uh, and yes, and, and her father, yes, mm. yes. Yeah. And, and there is a sense of, of people sort of talking about missing the war as well, isn't there? And that sort of sense of purpose and sense of knowing what, what to do. Yes, I mean that was something I found too with the with the Night Watch, my novel set just after the Second World Second War. Second World War, yeah. Um, where there had been this this tremendous national purpose, as you say, given given to people by the war, and then a slight sense of oh, where, where do we go next? And for I think women then really did suffer from a kind of closing down of opportunity after that war. Mm. And it's true that you know the, the First World War was devastating and traumatic and ghastly in all the obvious ways, but it's you know it. 
it ended, for example, with a lot of things unresolved politically across Europe. There was still a lot of conflict and tension around across all sorts of parts of the world. The world felt like a very unsafe place after mm. the war, I think. And, of course, there was a lot of tension between the servicemen coming home. There were no jobs. Mm. You know, yeah, there, were, there was a housing shortage. There, there was tension between those men and some of the women who had made kind of gains in their absence. Um, mm. So that was that was the main thing that surprised me. I think about the early twenties. There was it was quite an unhappy, quite a tense period. We tend to think of it as mm. you know the roaring twenties. Yes, we do. Yes, yeah. But I think certainly the early twenties wasn't like that. There was there was a lot mm. of energy around, but I think a lot of it was a kind of nervous energy, you know, in reaction yes. to the war, which wasn't a very kind of healthy climate yeah interesting mm. and well we talked about about lesbians um as as we we must with you i think <laughs> because i mean so all, all of your books apart from the little stranger have had lesbians very much well right at the forefront really is there a sense that you've really not never ever felt you should shy away from that you know it's it's interesting i've sort of talked to writers like stella duffy who felt that you know, she she felt she was sort of taken more seriously when she had a straight male protagonist. But you've not re- ever felt that there is any any issue with having lesbians right up there at the front. I haven't felt that. No, I mean, my you know, my first novel, Tip in the Velvet, was yes. was very lesbian, <laughs> very you know, much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that maybe yeah. maybe starting on that note meant I could continue on it or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've always I've been incredibly lucky in the sense that I've always just been able to write the novels that I want that to you write. Want to write. You know? So yeah. even The Little Stranger, which no doesn't have any lesbian element to it, it was still a novel that's very close to my heart. You know, yeah, I love the gothic, I love ghost yeah. stories. It was a great opportunity to write a haunted house story. Yeah. Um, it was kind of queer in a different kind of way, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sure. So no, I've never felt under any pressure from mm. from my publishers or, or even from readers, you know, to kind of write a certain kind of way. I just mm. Well, have you have you felt ever felt any pressure to actually have lesbians? Because I'd imagine some of your <laughs> lesbian fans Well actually, yeah, that was more of an issue. You know, when I was writing The Little Stranger, I I was yeah. aware that <laughs> I would probably disappoint some of my yeah, audience, which yeah. indeed I think I did. And I think, you know, maybe... and Which I understand, because yeah. as a lesbian reader... You, you as a want to feel viewer, represented somewhere, because there's not always very much, exactly. is there? So I think if you feel like you're losing somebody who's been representing yeah. you, um, hopefully in a, in, a, in a sensitive way, you know, if you feel yeah. you're you're losing them, then that can be worrisome. But, you know, that was never... I was never going to, you know, leave lesbians behind. Nah. Certainly this novel is uh, is, uh, is very lesbian. Uh, d- definitely, <laughs> definitely is. Um, and you did your PhD thesis in lesbian and gay historical fiction. Mm. And has there been a sort of tradition of a lot of lesbian and gay fiction throughout history? Or uh, is it sort of hard to find? Well, it's always, you know, the further back you go, the harder it is to find evidence. Is it more sort of, of subtle? Exactly, it becomes <laughs> yes. a bit more underground. And, of course, also the landscape changes, the way people thought about their sexuality changes. You know, our idea yeah. of being gay Well, it's the social construct, thing. isn't yeah. it? Yes, I mean, Frances talks in the book about not having the man microbe, doesn't she? It's sort of a <laughs> yeah, different I love way. the way people have, dif- the different ways people have had for explaining same-sex desire over the years. Um, but, you know, insofar as we can talk about gay people in the past, homosexual people in the past yeah they have always appealed to history actually as a way of explaining or understanding their own sexuality i mean ancient greece for example yeah, is course. something that people yes. have always appealed to in, in the 19th century gay men that they were you know beginning to kind of form communities and friendship net- networks they would often appeal to ancient greece as a way of, of sort of saying well look you know the ancient greeks did it and they were mm, great yes. so we want to do it too <laughs> and for lesbians sappho has always been you know oh, a big of course figure. yes yes absolutely so, yeah i think it has 
been a big element of forming a, a lesbian and gay identity has been to say, well, who was doing it before us and what were they like? And yes. So, yeah, it was very much that tradition that I felt I was coming out of with, with Tipping the Velvet. I mean, I wrote that in the 90s and there'd been a lot of lesbian and gay historical fiction around them. People like um, mm. Isabel Miller's Patience and mm. Sarah, that lovely novel. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, I know. Chris yes, Hunt yes. had written some great um, gay men's historical novels. Um, mm. Ellen Galford, Jeanette Winterson, actually. Mm. I mean, uh, well, you know, of course, History yes. often features largely in her books. Yeah, so um, it was a very exciting time, I mm. think, for thinking about the gay past, and that's definitely where my books came from. Yeah. And what about actual historical documentation mm. of, of factual lesbian and gay lives? How, how much is there well, of that? Well, I think, you know, from the 19, in the 19th century, it's a bit more shadowy, as you say. We've got really sort of fragments, sometimes quite large fragments. But in, yeah. when you get into the 20th century, you can be much more confident. So certainly looking at the 1920s for the paying guests, mm. um, you know, I felt that, that there was a, quite a lot of information around. You look at somebody like Radcliffe Hall. I know she's an obvious yes. figure. Yes. But, you know, we think of we just think of her writing The Well of Loneliness. But... She'd had, from a young age, you know, she'd had lesbian relationships, lesbian friendships, quite unproblematically. Somebody like Daphne du Maurier and her sisters, mm. in fact, they all had lesbian affairs, some of them long, passionate lesbian relationships. Again, from a very early age, if you were in the right kind of circles, I think that's the crucial uh, thing. Yes, a sort of class arty, issue. Yeah. Yeah, or yeah. bohemian or, mm. or just kind of rather clued up sort of circles. You know, it was more of a, it was more routine. And of course, mm. we... It's 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 often circles like that that have left historical a mark on the historical record. So it's always they've written exactly. Yes, so yes. it's always harder to talk about working class lesbian life, even lower middle class lesbian life. Mm. But it, you know, it was it was definitely there. Hmm. Interesting. And which would you say of your books has perhaps been the, the hardest to write? Actually, I think The Paying Guests was the hardest oh, to Oh, really? Write. That's yes. interesting. I mean, God, you'd think by now they'd be getting easier. It's my sixth novel. Yes. But not at all. It was... What was challenging? Well, it's a very emotional novel. You know, the characters mm. go on this really quite gruelling journey. Yes, yes. And so you, that makes it, you know, you have to kind of really engage with that and really think it through. But it was more really on a, on a technical level. It's... You know, Francis is what I would think of as a lesbian. Lillian, when we first meet her, is married, married. Mm. straight. It's 1922, so I had to. They had to come together pretty slowly, you know, in yes. order to be feel authentic. So I had to. But I think that almost feels authentic to the way, you know. I think sometimes women get together in quite awkward, oh, long, definitely. glacial. Yeah, absolutely, ways. and actually that now. can be tremendously exciting. Oh yeah, yes. well, it builds up the exactly <laughs> the excitement. So and that attention. wasn't a problem. It's just I think. I hadn't realised that when I started and I had to really figure out how to keep that pace leisurely, you know, keep yeah. it leisurely, mm. but also keep it keep charged. It going. Keep yeah. it moving. So there were just kind of technical issues like that that made it a book I had to really think about. But it was but in the end, you know, it's a very satisfying book mm. to write because I really like I really like Francis and Lillian and I Yeah. They do go yeah. through the mill a bit, but I really wanted to to do their story justice, I suppose. Okay. Yeah. Yes, because I suppose it it has been a while since the previous book yes. so did it take it took a few it took years four and a bit years yeah it seems extraordinary because i write full time and you, you know yeah well, I, do, I do a lot of rewriting i, yes. I do a lot of trying things out of course mm. yes i mean i almost wondered i think previously you had said the night watch was pretty challenging of course with the, the structure mm. and things like that yeah and i think actually this book is is a bit similar to the night watch and it's very character led mm. there is a plot there but it's what was uncertain to me at the start was 
how my characters would really feel about the plot, you know, how they would feel about each other. And I had to figure that out as I went along. And the night, I remember the Night Watch being rather like that. But that's, you know, that's, that's one of the interesting sides of writing as well, is getting to know your characters and thinking mm. about motivation and why people are doing the things you're making them do. That's what yes. it's all about, really. Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, and just wanted to sort of check about a couple of um, other exciting developments I read about on your website. Um, I don't know how involved you'll be, but there's a couple of new stage adaptations mm. of Tipping the Velvet and Fingersmith. Yes, you. that's very exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, the Tipping the Velvet should be, I think, I think next end of next year here in London. And Fingersmith is in the US at something called the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, oh, which right. is quite a big deal over there. And it's... It's being written by, or has been written by, a woman called Alexa Young, who's previously written for big TV shows, actually, like Friends and things like oh, that. Wow. She's a very experienced Gosh. writer. And when she first approached me, I thought, oh, OK, how's this going to be? You know, And she's done a fantastic job. She's done a really, really wow. lots of energy to it. Hmm. So that's premiering there in um, February, I think. So, I, But I, that I've, won't come over here to London or who it's knows? It's very early days. Yeah. So I, I've no idea. But it's um, very exciting that it's happening at all. I think it's great. Yeah, 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 definitely exciting. And also, I know Christopher Green, or yeah. <laughs> also known as uh, Tina C or Ida Barr, yeah. and various other characters. And you've been co-writing a play with him. I have. It's a great adventure for me. That is because I've never written for the theatre before, and in fact, I've never collaborated before. Wow. So Chris approached me a few years ago, actually, with an idea for a spooky play, um, which he had. He'd had this great idea, and he wanted to work with somebody on it, and the timing wasn't right. And then this year, it. it just worked out we've got a couple of theatres on board Cardiff and Birmingham and it's been great fun I must admit we're at the we're workshopping it at the moment and that's going to be December in Cardiff and January in Birmingham Mm. and um, yeah it's just been wonderful to work with Chris I mean I think I think Chris is a bit of a genius to be honest but he's also just it's we're we're, we're very similar in the sense that we like the same sort of old British films and oh yeah you know daft gothic horrors and things like that so it's been great to bounce ideas off each other it's been a treat but was that quite a alien process then if you've never collaborated it was and i was quite trepidatious about it but it's just worked very naturally and there's different bits of the of the play that obviously you know some that suit me more than him and so i've i've kind of worked more on those bits and he's worked on the others but We've worked to get on the whole concept together, and it's been great. And Rula Lenska's in it, oh. which is a good tr- treat as well. Oh, that's yeah, exciting! She's fantastic. Yeah. And do you have a new book sort of in, no. in the back of your mind? <laughs> oh, no. no, that's not Don't ask. not yet. No, not yet. No, because this has been. Even though I finished the Paying Guests in March, early March. Yeah. Um, the months since then have been quite busy. Well, full on with things. promotion. And yeah, so things. it's nice to actually not be thinking about writing a book at the moment because it's, especially after the pain guess, which was so full on yeah. for so many years, that it's <laughs> yes. good to have a break. So I've got a couple of small ideas, but I probably won't get a chance to really explore them till till the new year, so I'm just going with that. Yeah. yeah. Yes, just enjoying <laughs> having finished <laughs> yeah. another great book. Thank you so much, Sarah Waters. Oh, Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.